We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the lack of updates in the coaching search, the lack of movement in the front office, Jimmy Butler's play against the Milwaukee Bucks, and revisit our views on the state of the team now that there has been some time between the disappointing playoff loss and now. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com Sixers and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com Sixers today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Sixers. GetRoman.com slash Sixers. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. You know, watching a little playoff basketball without the Sixers, a little bit of uh, easy offense for uh, compared to what we were watching, like teams that don't take (laughs) five steps to run into a or uh, to get in to an offensive set. But uh, (laughs) it's been, I don't know, the quality of play has been pretty good outside of the Sixers, of course. A fucking incredible playoff stretch, I think. Like, there have been so much intrigue, so much unpredictability. I don't know if it's entirely because of no home court. Or just the funkiness of a four-month break in the middle of the season, or if it is a, just an oddball year where it's a lot of really good series, but a lot of upsets, a lot of close series, a lot of surprises, a lot of drama, a lot of close games. It has been a really, if you take out the four games that the Sixers directly participated in, <laughs> now you could, you, you, the Sixers participated in some other series, maybe a little bit indirectly and in, in, in painful ways, which we may or may not get to later on in this podcast. But no, no, take- let's do it. Let's do it right now. It's, it's a quick thing. You thought the season was tough enough. You thought the sweep at the hands of the Boston Celtics was tough enough. And that was 
enough of them taking their medicine. But no, they have to watch Jimmy Butler wipe the floor with the team that they built their team to beat. It is, uh, man, I don't think it, it could have gone worse for them. It's it's unbelievable <laughs> how painful this has to be for them because Jimmy is playing out of his mind. Not only for them, but for all the people listening to this podcast, it has been a heck of a run for Jimmy Buckets. Um, he has, you know, he is such a weird player where during the season, he <laughs> clearly dials it back a gear or two, downshifts a little bit, coasts. Oh, I, I, I just remember some of those games. I went to a game in Sacramento. He didn't shoot a three for like a month and a half. It was insane. That's insane. He still shoots those ones where he, he loves the, the right wing pull up threes and transition. Yes. Those are like the only ones he'll take. But yeah, like th- there were games where I was just like, man, this guy's dogging it. There was a game in Sacramento last year that I was at where I was just thinking like, man, he was terrible. But, you know, I think we're just learning again that the regular season is a lot different than the playoffs. So maybe in that sense, the Sixers, while they're not validated, the idea of how they built their team when they were sucking in the regular season, you know, the idea that, hey, the playoffs are a different animal. That seems to be true because I don't think I've ever seen a team like Milwaukee their shit just doesn't work in the playoffs, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I think there's a bunch like going back to that. Like there are, I think playoff basketball tends to be won by veterans and veterans tend to at times dial it back in the middle of the season. I think that's part of it. I think in the playoffs, your biggest weakness can be exposed. And I think that happens with Milwaukee, but going back to Butler, 27.7 points on 13.7 field goal attempts in the second round against the Bucks. He's getting lined 13 times per night shooting 44% from three and 56% from the field. He has been absolutely incredible. And like you said, it was against a team that the Sixers were specifically designed to beat, a team that the Sixers were nowhere near getting towards because they would have had to get to the conference finals to meet them. And it turns out maybe the kryptonite they had on their roster. And it, <laughs> I mean, you can see the space that Jimmy is afforded with Miami. Yeah, he wouldn't have had that here. Yeah. I mean, and they're getting... I don't know, like 43s up per game. And that's, yep. and that's part of what I mean when I think Milwaukee, System what they do doesn't up those work. Threes. Yeah. It, it's very easy for Miami to generate those shots. Maybe you can say that they've been a little bit lucky in hitting some of them, but I don't really think so. It has not felt that way, at least watching those games. And then you have the 40 to 13 fourth quarter in game three where – Everything goes wrong for uh, for Milwaukee, but yeah, it's not just that Jason Tatum wipes the floor with you again. Jimmy has been great. I will say this is going to be the best year Miami is going to get out of Jimmy Butler. I still have worries or uh, concerns about what his contract looks like for sure. in a couple of years. That's when the old heat culture is going to be uh, tested, and I think a lot of the praise from this season, there is at least a chance in a few years We'll be laughing at that and just think like, well, he's just the weirdest, you know, he's, you take the good with the bad with Jimmy and that's kind of what you sign up for. But right now he is laughing at the Sixers because he's been spectacular. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to spend a podcast talking about Jimmy Butler. Uh, We had a few of those in the past and, you know, I think if you go back and you listen, I think we both had concerns. I think beforehand we were both in the run it back category though yeah you know i think go ahead no yeah we, we were in the run it back category yeah. i mean it, um, again it wasn't our money 
Yeah, it wasn't wasn't our money. We both had concerns about that five year deal for Butler, but I know one one point I made a, a bunch of times last year uh, was that the two best offensive fits with Joel Embiid were Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick, and I think we saw that play out quite a bit. Uh, and not that Jimmy Butler is a perfect fit with Joel Embiid by any stretch. Uh, you'd want a better shooter in that sort of role that he plays. But he was so important to Sixers, and everyone wants to boil down to why isn't he here and make it one issue. It's because of Brett Brown. It's because of the fit with Ben Simmons. It's because of this or that. If it was just one issue, I think they would have worked it out. Like, if it was just Brett Brown... Remember, like, last year, when there was that report from the New York Times that unless the Sixers won Game 7, Brett Brown was probably gone. And... Look, I don't want to go into too deep a conversation, but the sense I sort of gotten after that, that game seven loss in Toronto was that the coaching staff felt like they were gone. I think that there was a real chance. Uh, look, you don't have to read between the lines. I think they were debating Brett Brown's fate at that point and whatever forced them, whatever changed their direction that they were going to go or whatever influenced them in the decision that they ultimately made. I think to they, bring Brett I think they just looked around and said, oh, we're not getting anybody better than him. Right now. I, th- I, I think there, there could be a, whole, a few different reasons. And I think if that was a 15-point loss in Game 7 instead of a last-second loss, who knows whether that changes anything. But the point I'm trying to make here in a real roundabout way is Brett Brown was not exactly in the most secure spot last year at this time. If they looked at it and they said, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, we're confident in that working for the next five years, they don't keep Brett Brown to get in the way of that. Like they're not like almost no coach, especially no coach that has won or that hasn't won a championship has a kind of equity where he would win a battle like that. If they really felt a hundred percent confident in Jimmy Butler being with this core for the next five years, that's just the coaches aren't that coaches are much more fungible, changeable than star players. So if that, if, if, if that relationship was that bad, where it was only Brett Brown, that was a concern. Jimmy Butler would still be here. I think there's a whole host of reasons. We don't need to get into all of them, but between Jimmy Butler wanting to be the primary initiator, Jimmy Butler wanting his own team, being sort of like the the headliner, not only in terms of, of role, but also in terms of name recognition. I think there was concerns with Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons. I think there's concerns about Jimmy Butler aging. I think there's concerns about Jimmy Butler in the locker room, and that was irrespective of whether or not Brett Brown was a coach or the next coach that came in. And I think there's just concerns over how that contract would age. And I think if you want to boil this down to a single reason why Jimmy Butler is in Miami, I think that's a little bit too simplistic. Um, and I don't think you can blame any single one individual or reason for that. And uh, yeah, that team's that team's a lot better than I thought they would be. Um, they're they're first of all they're well made around Jimmy Butler, and like Bam taking that step is humongous for them. And he's been dynamite too. We'll see what they look like in a couple of years when Jimmy gets older and Bam gets paid the amount he should get paid, which is the most amount of money he can make. He is spectacular. I mean, his physicality against Giannis is just terrific. Uh, I totally agree with your whole point there about don't boil Jimmy's departure down to to Brett not being there. I, I guess the the one thing I will say is that if there was some realistic concern about how he would age going out and signing Al Horford is, uh, <laughs> no, it's that's probably true. not the best. Uh, and look, that's a four year that. deal. And with a partial guarantee of who cares? Jimmy Butler has a better contract than either Al Horford or Tobias Harris. 
All right, let's pause for a brief break to tell you about DraftKings. Now is the time to celebrate. That's right, football is here. To kick off football's 101st season, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all users a no-brainer to start the season. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for Week 1, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's a no-brainer. Plus, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TOSS to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code TOSS to get in on all the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. All right, let's talk about the actual Sixers now. Oh, where do we fucking begin? Um, nothing really has changed. Pretty much nothing. Brett Brown was fired. He was fired the last podcast we did. If you actually go look on the Sixers front office directory, none of the other coaching staff has been removed. Brett Brown has been removed from the front office directory. Nobody else has. My guess would be that there, this is just speculation. We're not reporting anything, but that there might be, um, you know, a chance that Ime Odoku could, could be promoted and, and maybe he would want to keep around some or all of the staff. Who knows? That would be my just sort of reading tea leaves. But they have, there was a report that Sixers were close to Tyron Lue being the next head coach, and then that was sort of retracted. From what we can gather, I, I don't think they're at a stage where you could say that confidently. Um, Jay Wright has withdrawn his name from consideration, announced that he is not in the running. Other than that, we got nothing. Nothing. Not a lot. Let's let's talk about Ty Lue, though, because even if I, I don't think they have gotten to the point where they have formally interviewed him yet, he does seem like somebody who's going to figure prominently into this search. Sure. So what do you think about him? I, you know, it's, we, we have made our position about coaching very clear that, you know, the, the roster and, and also the, the people who put the roster on the floor is, pr- it's more important than the, the coaching search. But, you know, like you said, if, if this team does get back to the point where they are playing into the final two rounds and, you need them to make adjustments. Uh, Mike Budenholzer, uh, make an adjustment, please, at some point. You know, they're going to be important. So I guess, what do you think of uh, of Lou? We've really only seen him with the most high-pressure job you can get. We saw him for, what, six games after uh, after LeBron left? 0 for 6. Doesn't bode well for uh, for the Sixers. No, I'm kidding. But uh, what, what did you make of his time in, in Cleveland, kind of taking over in 2015-16, winning the title, and then making the finals the next two years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because he's so so directly tied to LeBron and that team, and, and that whole team was so directly tied to LeBron 
you know, I thought Cleveland looked better after he took over. Uh, and they were, I mean, they were drastically underperforming before then. So maybe it was just more that they were reaching back up to their talent level, you know, after a, a really disappointing run there uh, with Blatt. Maybe it's just a veteran team sort of getting back. It's real tough. You know, I thought in terms of... On the court, that's not a hard team to coach. No. And it does seem like he managed... Like, I think there's always such a very tight rope to walk between... Like, you clearly can't treat a star the same as the 15th roster spot. That's just a... That's a sound bite. It doesn't actually... Nobody does that in professional sports. I think it's... From the outside, it seemed like he managed to walk that tightrope between yes, LeBron's more important, but also I'm going to, you know, you only get so many bullets where you can challenge him and stand up to him and really make an example out of him. It seemed like he sort of walked that well. And maybe that's where some of his equity as a former player comes into it. Um, maybe that's where maybe a clutch tie comes into it. Um, but I think he, I think he, he found that right balance. Yeah. And that's why I, I'm intrigued with him as a coach. You know, I think some people looking at it from the outside say, oh man, this is just the guy who LeBron took with him to the finals. I don't, obviously, I don't think that's fair anyway, but the idea of coaching LeBron on a day in, day out basis, that comes with a level of pressure that few other jobs in the NBA has. Yeah. You, you just have a lot of attention on you and there's a lot of weird stuff that, that can go on any small Rift, whether it's a passive-aggressive tweet or J.R. Smith throwing a, a bowl of soup at somebody or <laughs> <laughs> whatever else he had to, that. yeah, whatever else he had to deal with. What I mean, was the soup? Wendy did, was it? Wendy who found this out? Somebody found this out. I've listened to his podcast before, and he's—I forget exactly what the soup, but he's very proud that he knows what the exact <laughs> soup is. And to be fair, I would be proud too. I think it. No, I, I'm not even going to have a guess on it. But Some serious repercussions if you speculated incorrectly on that one. It, it wasn't clam chowder. I know that. So the the one thing that, that that's one part of it, just dealing with all of the nonsense that comes with uh, with coaching LeBron. There's a lot of nonsense that comes with this job too. If the uh, if the team is still put together like this, so that's one thing. And two, regardless if LeBron is essentially a cheat code especially in the Eastern Conference from, what was it, 2010 to 2018, whatever it was. The idea of somebody who has been through the wars and has coached in June and has needed to make those adjustments that you mentioned, that's when the the coaching starts to kick in and, and you know, has done a good job. I know Mike O'Connor has, has been pretty vocal in his support of, of Ty Lu. He When he worked for us at The Athletic, one of his other responsibilities was to cover the Cavs, so he has watched Ty Lue with a closer eye than I think most people who cover the Sixers or are connected to the Sixers. So I'm intrigued by him, but you know, I think there's the obvious clutch tie. Uh, I, I like the idea of him being there. Obviously, they should interview all of the other people that they're interested. But you know, if they end up with Ty Lue at the end of the day, that's not something that I will uh, I'll have too much of a complaint about. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly seems like. Um... He seems like a very legitimate candidate. And there are some who I don't think I would say that about. Uh, and we could, I mean, we could go back to your tweet there on that subject. Here's what I would say. No first year people, number one. Yes. 
And number two, no Jason Kidd or Mark Jackson. <laughs> yes. Really, anybody else? I'll, you can talk. We can talk ourselves into yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah. And, and you could you could say they're the right guy. That's not exactly true, but my two generals: no, uh, no first timers who skip the line, and no Mark Jackson, Jason Kidd, and yeah, that's that's pretty good. Keep going. Yeah, and I, like I, I I think Lou is intriguing in terms of his. Offensive um, adjustments. You know, I think you mentioned Mike O'Connor, our former colleague. Go check out his Twitter. He's he's talked about this. I think he's written about it for uh, some other Sixers podcast. He look. I like that he's coached with Doc Rivers for a long time too. Doc Rivers is oh, one of the best coaches couple, in the NBA. Yeah, a couple a couple good quote unquote pro programs for sure for sure. No, I think I think I think people who dismiss him too quickly because of the LeBron tie or that the Cavs were only LeBron. Like I think they're dismissing him a little bit. Do I think he is necessarily the next Greg Popovich? I don't know about that, but I think he is a, a worthy candidate for sure. It, it is fair to say, though, like when, when you talk about his X's and O's, like, wow, he runs all this great spread, pick and roll, all this stuff. Uh, the personnel here is different. Right. Of course you would with LeBron. It looks really pretty when LeBron James and Kyrie Irving are on your team. Like, I mean, the, the main play they would run when things got really real in the playoffs, they ran the 1-3 pick and roll. I know, crazy... Uh, yeah, crazy inventive, but you can't exactly run that as well here. That's not to say that some of the spread stuff can't work with Ben Simmons. It's it's just different because when you run stuff like the one three pick and roll and people went under that screen or the three one pick and roll, yeah, LeBron would shoot it, and Ben has not gotten to that level yet. But still, I I still think like the main thing you are looking for from a coach is somebody who. You want to call it accountability, but just somebody who can develop a rapport with Embiid and Simmons, hold them somewhat accountable, develop a meaningful relationship moving forward. And he did that with LeBron. So I think that's that's a good start. That's that's a legit selling point to me. Yeah. Yep. And like you said, compared to some of the other names on the market, um, uh, sure. Sounds great. All right, let's pause for one more break. This time to hear from Manscaped. Live sports are back. It's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure your Nuggets are as safe as possible when that matchup happens. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced. They actually just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools and it includes slashed tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. Their Perfect Package 3.0 comes with a new and improved lawnmower, a waterproof cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when we're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with a crop preserver and crop reviver. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. Take your grooming game to the next level. And now back to the show. It is interesting. We haven't heard really any report. We've heard reports of some people who are interested in the job. We haven't really heard any kind of a leak or a report of the Sixers talking to anyone. I'm interested or, in the job. Yeah, sure. I'm interested in the president of basketball operations job too. Let, you, you can <laughs> let that out there. You haven't really heard heard too much about this at all. And I hopefully after the sort of holiday weekend, we start to hear a little more in that regard. You know, I know a lot of people want the front office to be fully 
settled before they they decide on a coach. But if Elton is ultimately going to be the one making that decision, and you assume that the ownership and the management structure above him remain the same, then the core decision makers are, are primarily there anyway. Um, I don't have too big of a problem if they do go basically start pursuing that before they have the entire front office situated. I think the bigger issue is why have they not started situating that front office yet? Like at some point, you know, we, we, what do we talk to Elton now? Almost two weeks ago. And, you know, he said he had to evaluate the entire front office. Well, how long, like all the decisions that you would be evaluating have been made months and months and frankly, a year ago at this point. Didn't take you long to evaluate Brett. No, like they obviously they'd come to a conclusion about Brett before the playoffs happened. Uh, maybe if Brett made a miraculous run to the finals, it would have altered from that. But like you, you've had all this information about your front office for a long time. I don't understand why this is taking so long. So if I have it, like, let's say the order of events happens where they hire a coach, then they reorg the front office. I think the issue is more that they didn't move on the front office quicker. I don't really have too big of a problem. Like I said, unless Elton ends up hiring somebody above him, which would, would be a little bit surprising. But if Elton is ultimately the one making the decision and ownership and management above him are making that decision, then if they, if they really come to the conclusion that Tyron Lou is, is their, their guy, then I don't really have a huge problem with them acting on that. No, me either, especially because if Ty Lue is your guy, you would imagine that he'll have some other interest from other teams. Yeah. You know, I, I think yep. Houston is one who has been rumored and, you know, we'll see. Maybe they, they make a huge run, but. Well, and that, that, that that's one of the reasons why you, you maybe don't act. Maybe, maybe something like Mike D'Antoni becomes available, which would be fascinating because he despises post-up play. It would be really interesting to see him sort of um, coach the Sixers. You know, but maybe you want to see who becomes available when this, these playoffs are over. I could see that too. Yeah, that's another one where you say, "Wow, I can't wait to see the X's and O's and the the spacing principles." And it's like, all right, but is he is he coaching the same players? Like, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I think not. Mike D'Antoni is honestly he's like the Bill Walsh of the NBA over the last twenty years. But it's it's going to be different. Funny story about Mike D'Antoni, by the way. When he was here with the Sixers, what was that for? About a half season. Yep. When uh, Jerry Colangelo put him here. I remember, I mean, they were terrible, right? They were 10 and 72. That was the year. Yes. So Embiid in the locker room after the game is not playing at that point. I guess that's the second year he broke his foot. Yeah. And uh, they're going on a road trip to Detroit. And D'Antoni's like, are you going on the trip? And Embiid says, no, I'm not going. And he's like, D'Antoni looks at him and goes, oh, man, I don't want to go to Detroit. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, he was he was here for a year. I remember Brett did take some stuff for a while from him, kind of the the pistol type offense that they run, but it was with uh it was with like Ishmith and Hollis Hollis Thompson. <laughs> so can't really say the uh those offensive schemes are gonna be put in, in Springfield at, at any time soon. But yeah, he'd he'd be intriguing for sure. I would uh that would be like his ultimate challenge, but Well, that or Mello, one of the two. Oh yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah, that's that's one. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Jay Wright said no. He said no. Yeah. Thought Good it was for Jay. Good for Jay. That was pretty funny. I think if it was Bobby Hughes was the first one who did it. The the head coach of Rosemont men's basketball used the same exact template to say that he was not uh he was not interested in the job. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter essentially make that a meme. It was pretty funny, but. I mean, look, I, I, it was, that's kind of the, 
favorite talking point of, let's just say, mainstream Philadelphia media, because Jay Wright is a very popular person with them. He's a good guy. People in Philadelphia love their their college hoops, especially the the mainstream people. I think ultimately he made the right move. He oh, just, yeah. He has such a great job. And, and the only reason you'd want to do it is for the, the challenge. And I, I, I get that. Like, he's done pretty much everything you would want at the college level. The only challenge for him now is to see if he can become, you know, one of the very few greats at this point. But, uh, and, and the idea of the NBA, okay, can I win an NBA title? Because that'll be, you know, another level. But I have followed Jay Wright enough to know that he values being the coach of Villanova in a place where college basketball is not 24, seven, 365. And he loves just like when they lose early in the tournament. And, you know, it's been pretty funny over the, the recent years. Either they win the title or they lose in the in the first round in kind of embarrassing fashion. And when they lose in the first round in embarrassing fashion, everybody makes fun of them for, I don't know, three days. And then people forget because the Sixers are playing in the playoffs. The Flyers are in the playoffs. Philly season starting. And then there's training camp. And I, I do think he values that. He's obviously very well paid, and that that is his dream job, and he's got it rolling there. So, you know, as long as he didn't want the the challenge, and frankly, the Sixers, as we've said, is they're not as good of a job as they looked a couple years ago. Maybe, maybe a few years ago, when old uh, old Collars Colangelo was secretly trying to court him, that would have been a a better option. But to me, yeah, it seems like an obvious move for him to stay put. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, unless there's a a just a competitive itch that he needs to scratch. Um certainly in terms of the next five years, I would I would rather be the coach of Villanova than the Sixers. It would have been a tough job for him too, I think, because you know, people will make the comparison to Brad Stevens and Jay is I mean, even more than winning those titles, it's kind of how they win those titles with just beautiful spread offense. They get these kids who are like three and four stars turn him into pros. There's like eight or nine of them over the past five years. Insane run for him right now in terms of player development. It, it would have been a pressure cooker type of job because Brad Stevens had runway when he was hired. They were not yep. supposed to be good right away. And he was given a, a five-year contract, I believe, or maybe even more than that at the time to uh, to build a program. And they, they got better faster than they, they should have. Some of that is, is due to Brad Stevens coaching. Some of that is just that the Celtics did a really good job of rebuilding on the fly thanks to the uh, the Garnett and Pierce trade. But it's certainly a different job than what the one Stevens would have went into. And, you know, for one, Brad Stevens, there, there are plenty of other college coaches who probably regret making the move to the NBA. It probably wouldn't have turned out as bad as, uh, as John Beeline last year, but <laughs> yes. I think it's probably – it's in between the two. It's it's certainly not as, as easy – of a job as Brad Stevens was walking into in terms of expectations. Yep. Yep. We'll be right back to the show after this quick break. All right. So I guess taking a step back, because I think when we last spoke, it was pretty much right on the heels of the season ending. Brett Brown being fired and Elton Brand's press conference. I guess if you had any a chance over the last couple of weeks, last week and a half, however long it's been, my brain is fried, to sort of like evaluate where this team is and the position they find themselves in. Like I know 
if you go back and listen to our last podcast, it probably is not the most optimistic one we have ever recorded. Has that dissipated at all, I guess? Maybe a little bit. I mean, I think there is still a level of unknown with this team because, let's be honest, everything went wrong this year. I, I know that they were awesome at home, but for the most part, Horford fit was terrible. They just had injuries pop up at every single time, and they had a huge injury in the playoffs where, yes, you can judge their their roster and no, it was not good enough. But, you know, not having Ben Simmons in a playoff series, it's it's going to hurt you. I'm just a little worried considering how good the rest of the East is right now. And I just wonder, like, if they are able to roughly get back to their team of a two, two years ago, and that seems to me like the best case scenario, if they're able to trade Horford and maybe, you know, probably not going to be able to trade Harris. I'm not even going to entertain that. But Horford and Richardson and get, you know, some version of Reddick and, and Covington and bring those guys back. So just get one of the league's best shooters and a very good three and D player. Yeah. I mean, they're probably gonna have to mortgage their next eight drafts to do it, but, <laughs> but whatever, but to get some level of shooting back in the fold, um, you know, it just seems like that team from two years ago, even if you build that, that group back, I'm watching these playoffs and it just seems like shooting, you need more ball handling. And we knew that two years ago, but I'm just, I think like our biggest mistake last season, one, we overestimated what the defense would look like. And maybe we didn't get to see that in the playoffs. But the the thing that I raised the point at the time that they were going to miss Butler at the end of games. And that's, that's on the record, but I probably underestimated that even more than I should have. Like they just don't have the perimeter scoring option. And right now, like regardless if I think Simmons can be better and Bede can be better, they can rework some of the pieces around them. Probably, like I said, with some draft pick compensation, I just don't know how they get that scoring perimeter uh, option. And that's, uh, that's where I'm at. It feels like, I don't know, a mid tier Eastern conference team right now. That is a mid-tier Eastern Conference playoff team. team. Sure, sure, a, a four, five, six seed. Yeah, yeah. With their payroll and Embiid and Simmons, that's a catastrophe. It's really that bad. Yeah. A, like Embiid and Simmons by themselves. As long as you don't fuck it up around them, Embiid and Simmons buy you fifty wins in the Eastern Conference, and that is pretty much like that. Feels like their ceiling right now. And they have an ex. You just you talked me into feeling worse than I already did. It is. I mean, I actually think Embiid and Simmons deserve a little more heat than what you just you kind of left on them. I I think both of their skill sets in the playoffs. There are major questions. About- oh sure, a hundred percent. But I don't necessarily blame them for that. Well, I a little bit. I like if you go back, I gave grades out earlier this week and I gave them both like a C minus. So like, I, I don't think they're blameless, but if you had a Jimmy Butler esque player, then you don't have to rely on Joel Embiid's post game, which is tough to work in the playoffs. Like you don't have to rely on that so much. If you had a JJ Redick, you could make better use of Joel. It's just, 
I mean, I agree it, with you. It's it's tough to build a championship caliber offense around Embiid's post game and Simmons non shooting. Hundred percent. It's just I look at it now and I'm like, well, how do you how do you augment what you don't have in Embiid and Simmons? And it's just it's a very murky path to get where you need to be. And it's I mean, it's I don't know. It's it's going to be tough. It is going to be ext- and this is why I think focusing so much on a coach is underselling the team's problems. What's going to be real interesting because I'm a, I'm a fan of chaos and I think chaos is interesting in sports. What happens with Giannis? Like, could he get to the point where he's going, or could the Bucks just, could he be non-committal and the Bucks be like, well, we got to get something. And are you out of the Giannis sweepstakes because you gave up all you gave up for Tobias fucking Harris? who really isn't making the team substantially better right now anyway. And also you committed all those that, that trade capital and the money and now you don't you don't have the assets to make Milwaukee blink. It, it's just there's so many like there's uh, some of these moves just it, they're 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 tough to stomach. First off, I don't think Milwaukee's going to trade Giannis. I mean, I don't think they will unless he basically demands it. I agree with that. Uh, I think you 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 do everything you can to bring him back. You use the um. You just take one more shot. Like I, you, you take one more shot, you're not going to get a player bigger, as good yeah, as him. Sure, no, I, I he would have to, but like if Leonis is so frustrated with how the last couple of seasons have ended, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to request a trade. But you never know. My my point is, you're not very, you're completely inflexible, and that is the last place the Sixers should be right now. And it's it's Giannis is really just a hypothetical example. Do you trade Ben Simmons for? Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. If he would sign a a, a long term contract in a heartbeat. So are you out of the sweepstakes? Uh, I mean, t- to be honest, I mean, like, well, like well, Giannis, well, Ben and Joe, as good as that talent is. No, that's not a good fit. That's not a, and like, you'd have to, not a good fit to, is, is underselling it. It yeah, is a yeah. terrible fit. And you would have to like, you know, talk to Giannis's reps and see whether or not he would, he would be interested in, in signing and what the likelihood of that is. It would be a lot like a, a Kawhi situation there. Um, although he would be, you, you could negotiate, but Giannis isn't going to sign this, this off season anyway. Um, but yes, if 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 you had any real inkling that um, Giannis would stay, I would make that trade in a nanosecond. Okay, well then you might be in the in the running. It's like, uh, I mean, it's a better version of the DeRozan for uh, for Kawhi trade. You know, the team would want the best player given to them at that point, like who's under contract. And you know, I think from the Sixers standpoint, you wouldn't trade Ben unless you had the guarantee from Giannis. Hey. As soon uh, as soon as I can, I will uh, I will sign my contract right now. But you know, it, that's something that I don't think is impossible when when you look forward look ahead. I do agree with you. The idea of the, you know it probably gets beaten in the ground too much of like what's Giannis going to do in a few years when they're winning sixty games. But man, if they lose like this and they don't look like they're even close to winning a championship, I know it's it's some weird circumstances. They're in the bubble. Giannis might have gotten well, a little bit hurt, but they look they look bad. Oh, they they look bad before Giannis got yeah. hurt. And look, there's a whole bunch of dominoes that could you know fall here. You know, like if they go out and they change out Bud and they have to get another coach. And I don't know how many coaches Giannis has had, but this has been a few now. Um, maybe the weight of the expectations just finally get to him, and he gets frustrated. Like we have seen things happen in the NBA that you don't expect, and that's I, I guess two things here. You know, first, if Giannis, if something does happen where Giannis does indicate he wants out because he's frustrated with the Bucks, the odds of him agreeing to a long-term extension right away after trade are slim and none. 
And and so from the Sixers' perspective, why would you um, you you would want to have an avenue available where you could take that risk without giving up your twenty three year old All Star without a guarantee? Um, and the Sixers aren't in a spot where they have the trade assets to do that. Uh, but second, this is really just an example of of why it's frustrating that they're not as flexible and as ready to pounce as they could and 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 really should be. And like I said, this is a little less about Giannis, uh, who is just sort of like an example here. I think they could construct a team that's pretty good in the regular season again. The Sixers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think sure. it, I think if you essentially get back to the level of 27-18, and that's going to be hard. I don't want to even say that uh, that that's easy. But if you're able to somehow downgrade in town a little bit, but just get so much better and fit and bring back that team, that team to me is like a 52 to 55 win team. But, but the problems come when it actually matters. And at this point, 50 win seasons, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll yell at Ty Lue like Brett Brown and, and all that stuff. But the regular season doesn't matter as much yeah. anymore. And I just wonder, especially because now you got Brooklyn with Durant coming. We'll see what he looks like, but that's, that's potentially another major roadblock in the East. It's, it's going to be hard. And the main answer to me when you're you're looking at the big picture is a you need to get that fit a little bit better because that's really the best thing you can do you can kiss the the Jimmy Butlers and any other perimeter talent to supplement Ben Simmons and Joe Embiid an elite perimeter talent you can kiss that goodbye so you get to fit a little bit better with more role type guys and then Embiid and Simmons need to make another big leap both of them probably yeah. and that's your ticket to getting back in whatever level of contention you think this team should be. It is, you know, it's two years ago when the Sixers lost to Boston. So that is team. You got some good shooting, some space around a beat and Simmons. You need one more guy. Like you have too few guys who can dribble like Covington can't dribble. Charge can barely dribble. Like it's, you need people who can attack a closeout. So they went out and they reshuffled everything Got the guy who can dribble, let him go, and look, that was complicated. We'll have more time to talk about that later. And then reconstructed it with no guys who could dribble, but less spacing. And now we're like, well, but we we need we need more shooting now. Like maybe we can have some role play. We're in this real weird cyclical back and forth. Except now we're hoping that they can get back to where they were, but with fewer assets and older stars, and just like I don't know. No 22 million one-year contracts uh, or whatever the hell JJ signed the first time anymore. Yeah. No, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And, and now you're at a spot where you don't have that elite perimeter score to win in the playoffs. L- like you mentioned, they could get back to being a pretty good regular season team again. You don't have the assets to get that elite perimeter score, but you also don't have the pieces that fit where you could even really be that elite regular season team. It's... We'll see. I, I mentioned luckily, him. Luckily, they have a real experienced front office in place to get them out of this mess. Yep. And, and I mentioned in my article this week the the idea of Elton Brand as the GM. That is, I think, is as you wrote initially. I think it's it's charitably described as a tough sale. But regardless of who the GM is, this is going to be a tough ass job to get them back to title contention. It's just going to be hard. And you know, I think when they broke up that team a few years ago. The, the shooting team, it, it wasn't necessarily the wrong move. I I wasn't sure that that group had the, the ability to get to the NBA Finals with the lack of dribbling, like you said. But now they're 
<laughs> now they're roughly with the same talent and lacking that that dribbling, but also not having shooting either. And it's a. Uh, <laughs> we will see. We will see. I don't. Uh, I feel like I feel like this has the potential to start into a rambling end of the podcast. So I think it's probably a good enough place to cut it off there unless you have anything else that you want to plug or get off your chest or anything. I think I'm good. Cool. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.